Before we get into this episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, I need to tell you about the Hope Conference, which is taking place in Birmingham on the 11th of November. It's hosted by the Speakers Collective and the Chasing the Stigma Mental Health Charity, and it's a full day of workshops, speakers, roundtables, and collaborations with mental health firmly at the centre. And the aim is to bring together anyone and everyone with an interest in the conversation around mental health to share ideas and learn from each other. And there's some awesome speakers lined up and some really cool things going on throughout the day. You're going to be able to listen to talks from Dr. Samara Linton, who's an award-winning writer and author, from Jake Mills, who is the founder and the CEO of Chasing the Stigma and the man behind the incredible Hub of Hope app. You can also hear from Hannah Beecham, who is the founder of Red Together, and Katie Neves, who is a trans ambassador and the founder of Call to be Trans. And I think it's going to be an incredible day and a great chance just to spend some time with like-minded people because it's essentially a room full of people who are all committed to talking about mental health and making a difference. I'm going to be there and in the afternoon I'll be talking all things proper mental. I'll be talking about the story behind the podcast and how the sorts of conversations that I'm trying to have and the podcast medium can play an important part in challenging stigma and, and inspiring change. And I'm going to be talking about a few of the things I've learned along the way. It's a non-profit event and all the money from the tickets go to funding this year's event and hopefully putting it on again next year. So if that sounds like your cup of tea and you'd like to come along, there's a link to buy tickets in the episode notes of this episode. And if you use the code PROPERMENTAL, that'll give you 10% off your purchase. There are some credible people involved in this. There's actually a lot of my previous guests who are going to be there on the day. So if you've been listening to the show for a while... It'd be a great opportunity to come down, hang out with me, say hello to some of the people you've listened to me talk to over the last couple of years, and just spend some time in a really positive and compassionate space. It'd be great to see you there. And if you want any more information, go to speakerscollective.org slash hopeconference. There's also a link to that in the episode notes. That's enough from me. And I hope you enjoy this episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. doing welcome to the proper mental podcast to episode 102 if you want to be specific of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is hannah hickenbotham who is the host of fuller beans which is a podcast that aims to reduce the stigma around eating disorders and increase eating disorder awareness and han also has an msc in eating disorders and clinical nutrition and she has lived experience of atypical anorexia and she has lived experience of atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia and because of her podcast, she's had all sorts of conversations with a huge range of researchers and clinicians and charities and advocates and all sorts of people. So all these different things that she does, all of that combined, it just puts her in a perfect position to chat to me about eating disorders, which in general tend to be a quite, a quite often misunderstood area of mental illness. So we chat about Hannah's podcast, how it came to be, what she does with it. She's got a wonderful community built around the podcast and she also does like a community blog, she does workshops, all this sort of stuff. So we get into all of that. 
And we also talk about her own experiences, where some of these things came from and some of the things she's been through over the years and what she's done about that. And Han has a really good understanding of her experiences and she's able to articulate it really, really well. So, yeah, it's a really lovely episode. We chat about diet culture. We talk about getting diagnosed and the gaps in the healthcare system. We talk about exercise and recovery and relapse and podcasting and all sorts of other stuff. It's a really wonderful conversation. We really hit it off, me and Han, and it was just lovely to chat to her. It's a really open and honest conversation. Hannah is going through some stuff at the moment as we recorded this and she talks about that. She talks about it very openly, very honestly and it was really emotional actually. I think we both felt that and I can't thank her enough for for trusting me and trusting the proper mental platform with her story. I think people listening will really relate to Hannah and her story and everything that she's going through and I think people will be really kind of inspired I think by the bravery that she shows to talk about it as openly as she does. I've been lucky enough to be a guest on Hannah's podcast. I'm going to put the link in the episode notes. You can go and check that out. We did like a special crossover for Suicide Awareness Month. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed myself. That's a heavy episode too. Han's a really good podcaster. And she asked me a lot of questions I hadn't been asked before. She got me thinking about stuff that I'd not really thought about before. I always worry when someone asks me to tell my story that it's just the same old thing and I'm just repeating myself. But Han really managed to kind of take it somewhere else and um, yeah it was lovely she's very very good at what she does Um, she just creates this really like lovely compassionate caring space and um, yeah it was just really real pleasure we recorded these about a week apart and it was just lovely to spend so much time with her in a short space of time go and check out her podcast it's called full of beans you can get it in all the usual podcast places you can go to her website fullofbeans.co.uk there's a link in the episode notes follow her on social media the fob podcast the fob podcast you know where to find me by now. I'm not going to keep saying it, but if you want to follow me on social media, or look at the website, get in touch, blah, blah, blah. It's all in the episode notes. Do us a solid. Leave me a review. This is episode 102 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Hannah Hickenbotham. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. I'm recording in my kitchen and um, I normally we've got a, a space upstairs that I usually record uh-huh. in and because the kids have gone to bed a bit late and they've been a bit noisy so I thought I'll come downstairs <laughs> and like I like I like everything where it's supposed to be when mm-hmm. I'm recording because otherwise I get nervous so I need my cup of tea there I need my pen <laughs> got everything and I'm a little bit thin because I'm in the kitchen so it's yeah. a bit, so you'll have to bear with me Han but um, that's all right here we go I'll do a little intro mate we can dive straight in here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Hannah Hickenbotham. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, good, good. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. It's lovely to meet you. I kind of feel a little bit like I know you, which is weird. Yeah, because I we feel haven't the same. Met before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also really want to thank you for pronouncing my name right. Did like, I get that, it right? That was amazing. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how he's going to pronounce it. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. No one ever does that. Ah, well, I have got something to confess. Um, As I was logging on to Zoom, I thought I better double check because I'd written it down right on my pad here. And I thought I better double check that I've got that right. So I did have a quickly, I did quickly check. And then when you logged on, I can see it on your Zoom screen. So I I would have been all right anyway. (laughs) Even with it written down, though, people say Higginbottom, Higginbottom. 
bottom like strangers <laughs> just determined to get it wrong <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh mate but no it's really cool so we've kind of know each other from the I suppose I was thinking that there's like on Instagram there's like two kind of communities right so there's the mental health community and then there's also the podcast community and we've both yeah. got one foot in either in either camp <laughs> so it's really nice to um to meet people properly and have a bit of a chat but I, I thought the the podcast your podcast would be a really good place to start mate. Sure. so tell me about full of beans when did it start where did the idea come from you know what are you doing with it tell me all about it yeah cool. so I started it um last March I think yeah yeah last March um and basically I was looking for a job um so I did a master's in eating disorders coming from my own experience I wanted to then go into the industry I don't know whether industry is the right word to use but like that sort of area um and you know maybe kind of selfishly eating disorder jobs in research are really hard to come by and I thought what's going to make me stand out um and as somebody that loves to have a chat like it's literally my favorite thing to do in the world um I went on someone else's podcast it was a nutrition podcast and my friends listened to it and they were like okay why haven't you started a podcast because you need to because all you do is talk and you love talking to new people um so that was kind of why I started it was as something to put on my CV which sounds kind of bad um and I didn't really expect anything to come out of it like I just thought that because I had a couple of friends that had eating disorders in the past and I thought yeah it'd be cool to chat to you a bit um and then I had people start messaging me like people that I really looked up to in sort of the eating disorder recovery community like this is great um and I'd love to come on to the podcast so what started as something that to put on my CV has now become something I think that is actually being used quite widely as a resource for people to be educated about eating disorders, for people that are struggling with an eating disorder, if their loved one's got an eating disorder. Um, just being able to hear other people's experiences, I think, has really helped people. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I I do sometimes think, wow, I can't actually believe what's happened like as something that started as a hobby um, and it's still it still is a hobby um but it's been so cool it's a great way to kind of drop into people's dms as well like people that i find inspiring or whatever and or like i'm interested in their research to be like oh i've got a podcast want to have a chat whereas you know if i was just a random joe blogs on the street i wouldn't really be able to just mess well i could but people probably wouldn't respond as kind of positively as they do yeah that's it i love the idea of um using a podcast to create a resource like a, a, mm -hmm. a body of work you know that's yeah. just there and people can like listen episode by episode or they can choose the ones that specifically relate to them yeah. and something you mentioned then was for for people to listen to to be able to understand if a loved one or family member is going through an eating disorder yeah and that's so important isn't there because mm -hmm. we kind of all the all the help is always focused on the person who needs the help but yeah. the effect that it has on the people around the person who needs the help is is massive, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've heard from listeners um, um, that they have passed it on to their loved one. You know, they've really resonated with an episode and thought, I'm going to share this because I can't put it into words as to how I feel. Um, and also, like, I don't feel comfortable to have that conversation, but they might be able to listen to that and understand. And more recently, um, it's actually, I mean, this isn't a good thing, but um, I've sort of kind of um, relapsed a little bit in my own eating disorder. And my mum listens to every episode and she said, 
for her it's been so incredibly helpful because I've never really been able to talk to my parents completely how I've been feeling but on the podcast you know from her listening to other people but also listening to how I articulate things she said she's found it so helpful to understand what's going on for me so actually you know it is being a resource for everybody but it's even being a resource for my mum um which is it's quite amazing to kind of you know think that she's listening and gaining so much from it herself because they're just when I was younger and I was struggling I think things have changed a bit now but there was no resource for parents or carers um I think like you said it's, it's massively focused on the person that's struggling um but a lot of the time you know that the impact of an eating disorder is so widespread it really does take over family life and friendships and stuff so the people to be able to listen and think oh maybe that's why that's happening or you know I can sympathize with that a bit more I think hopefully is being helpful yeah sure has the process of like talking to all these different people you say how it like helped your mum to understand has it helped you to understand different aspects of you have you had some like aha moments as someone else has been talking so many sometimes I'll literally sit there and I'm like this is the most inspiring thing I've ever heard in my life like this is absolutely groundbreaking and then I'll like finish the episode and I'm like absolutely buzzing I'm like oh my god I'm completely inspired like this changed my life um so yeah, I think speaking to you know such a different range of people because everybody, whether they're a clinician, a researcher, or they've had an eating disorder or they've supported someone, everyone's got their own sort of like perspective of an eating disorder. And because the, there's a lot of different research out there, you pick up so many different things from different people. And I think if I hadn't done the podcast, I would be very aware of my situation and how I'm experiencing an eating disorder. But when you talk to somebody that has maybe been through recovery, um or they're doing research you're like oh the pieces are starting to fit together a bit more about like my experience and why this is happening and you know why I can't necessarily break out of it so it's definitely helped so much kind of having those conversations with people that have been there and they've already done the working out themselves I'm like yeah that kind of relates to me yeah there's real power in relatable conversations Mm -hmm. and I think with any sort of diagnosis as much as it's useful to have a diagnosis and have something to kind of like focus on and research and work towards the human brain isn't quite that simple right so just because you've got a diagnosis of something it will never fit perfectly in this kind of like little diagnosis box and there's so many overlap with other stuff you know um and it's only when we speak to other people about their stuff that you kind of go oh yeah that that's a bit of me that's not a bit of me maybe that is and um it's when you hear yourself in someone else's story it's a powerful thing I think yeah absolutely yeah and I mean I felt that kind of the whole diagnosis thing throughout my I guess you know so I was diagnosed when I was 14 with atypical anorexia and the word atypical itself just you know really is an uncomfortable word I find because my aim was to have anorexia and I got called atypical um but I never felt like I fit it fit me properly um and then I found out later on I got diagnosed with body dysmorphia depression and anxiety and I think all of those contributing elements made my eating disorder it felt different to me rather than what everybody was telling me anorexia was um so I never felt like I fit neatly into into the category of what I'd been given um and just felt so unheard when I was getting treatment because I was like but there's all these other aspects of me that you're literally ignoring because all you're doing is focusing on the food yeah sometimes I've been in like therapy myself and I felt like 
the person I've been working with has got an idea of what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know that that isn't right. I don't know what it is. And I haven't got the words to tell you that it's not right. And it's a really frustrating space to be, mm-hmm. um, to be caught in because you don't know what is right. You just know that what's going on isn't right. Um, so yeah, that must be uh, incredibly frustrating. Yeah. You mentioned um, you were diagnosed at the age of 14, Han. Mm-hmm. Go building up into that process because I think something that's maybe not known about eating disorders outside of the um, out of the ED community is how difficult it is to get diagnosed in the first place. Mm-hmm. So for yourself, was it something that had been going on a long time at that point? Um, if I'm honest, it's really hard to kind of. I find it really difficult to recall. I think. One thing I've definitely noticed when I've been in kind of like a severe period with my eating disorder, my memory is really faded. Um, it's very like rose tinted glasses sort of thing. So if you'd say to me, like, were you struggling? I didn't feel like I was struggling. I felt like I was living quite well. Um, I think I've always had a very difficult relationship with food and my body. Like I remember being at like in like year one. Um, and throwing away my what's at snack time because I thought oh if I don't eat them then I'll I'll be smaller um I don't think I had an, an idea about like weight loss but I definitely knew that I wanted to be smaller in general um and you know my family environment had also always been quite um you know my mum had always been on a diet my sister was really body conscious and, and my grandma always commented on things like that as well so to me it was just natural um, it wasn't strange that I wanted to be on a diet but I think you know when I was about maybe 13 14 that's when things started to be like okay this isn't just a diet now like this has actually got quite severe um, but in terms of like when that happened and then when I got the diagnosis I think it's all a bit blurred um, but for me like my doctor was actually really really good um I went along and explained what was what was happening um and I think I did get seen quite quickly which you know nowadays is a bit of a shock because my BMI wasn't super low um, and obviously now we have such like severe waiting times um and I've actually been diagnosed with atypical anorexia three times now um so I think for me the diagnosis process hasn't been the hardest part the hardest part has actually been getting into the treatment and then staying with the treatment and it being the right thing that I needed in that moment. Yeah, sure. So is it a case of like from um, diagnosis, when you talk about treatment, is that like therapy based, right? So do you go from diagnosis into the therapeutic process? Yeah. So basically there's, um, this is a more recent thing, but if somebody um, presents to the doctor with a GP I think that the legislation now is that they have to be seen within four weeks but that's just for an initial consultation um so you would go along and you will be weighed and you'll discuss what's going on and they'll give you a diagnosis at that point in time then it's just kind of a a sitting waiting best of luck game you know I've I've had friends that have unfortunately been severely unwell and they've waited six months for treatment um so they they see you and they diagnose you quite quickly um but your treatment can be really long and then when you get to the actual treatment process it can vary in terms of um sort of what you receive so 
for people under the age of 18 it tends to be like a CBT based thing um, and if that doesn't work they then will try family based therapy um, if you're an adult um, you can do a bit of CBT sometimes but there's also different kind of evidence-based techniques that they might use um, for you um, when I was in treatment when I was 14 I did a bit of CBT um, I mean I didn't really want to be there so it didn't really work so I tried the family therapy but unfortunately we were such a close-knit family and Eaton Sunder had really like rocked the boat that when we went into the family therapy my parents just took it as they had done something wrong which was not the case at all like my childhood was wonderful we were so close to my family um but the therapist really made it out like this is your problem you've done something wrong it's your problem to fix which it's not the case you know you work together as a family unit to to support somebody you know if somebody's under the age of 18. Yeah I think it's a real um outside of the mental health space it's a really like common misconception that um any sort of illness or disturbance or whatever you want to call it is caused by some sort of trauma you know and then as soon as it's related to family well it just sounds so awful but it's Mm it's not we've all got stuff right and all that yeah, stuff yeah. comes down generationally going back for generations and generations and generations that's kind of like how human works how humans yeah. work and it but it is so difficult to talk to isn't it because it's so hard to it's so hard to just yeah just talk about what's going on and what you're feeling when you're worried about offending someone mm. because you just there's no way of say of controlling how they respond to it um, yeah. It's really difficult once you go start, you know, working with the family stuff very, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And it took me, I think I only really gained the confidence to say to my mum, you know, I think that potentially one aspect of my development of my eating disorder was because you're always on a diet. And I didn't want to say that to her in the way of like, it is your fault, because ultimately, you know, eating disorders, there's so many factors that cause them. It's not just one thing and then you get an eating disorder. Um, but I think we needed to have that open communication for me to say, you know, there is a part of me that resents you slightly, but equally, I know that the reason you were on a diet was because your mum was not always on a diet and, and you're, they're her mum and everything. So it's nobody's fault at the end of the day. It was just circumstances that unfortunately meant all added together. That's what happened. Um, and I'm a massive believer as well in that I think it's pointless sitting forever and trying to pick out what caused you know with with any mental health problem um I think sometimes you do need to go back and maybe you need to work through things if they're really affecting your day-to-day life but you know for me it could have been the smallest thing as you know somebody pushed me in the playground and and you know a little thing like that 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 triggered it completely um I think it's better to work on the here and now of like you know what is this eating disorder providing you that you can't seem to step away from and what can we put in place instead that means that you can move away from eating disorder and you don't feel like every time like an issue happens in life you have to go back and resort to those behaviors yeah because I mean you can get lost right if you go down that rabbit hole of trying to unpick yourself and I don't think human beings are really designed to be you know, completely unpicked to their core. That's not how it works. No one's coming away going, all right, you know, so I've like, you know, I've gone down this rabbit hole, I've come out and now I understand everything. Um, So, you know, (laughs) I I love that, you know, sometimes, yeah, touch it, talk about it, acknowledge it, you know, show compassion to it and then say, all right, okay. Because ultimately we do have to look at the, we do have to look at the past, but at the same time, changing that past, you know, isn't going to 
change the future there's no time travel movie ever where they've meddled with the past <laughs> and the future's turned out differently right? it never works it always goes wrong. so you know we can learn from that but it's interesting you mentioned them um, like the the diet you know thing there well that's societal that's not mm-hmm. a family that's societal oh, right yeah. there is a, a multi-billion pound industry that is built on making people feel less than when it comes yeah. to how their bodies look and feel and um it's completely normalized, isn't it? You know, and I think, you know, there is, it's easy to get, you know, we talked about the Instagram community before. And when you kind of interact with loads of people who are all on your wavelength and all into the same stuff, and it's very easy to forget, uh, you know, because, you know, you can share something and I'll like it and I'll share something and you like it. And we go, yeah, the world is changing, but it's not. It's just two people in <laughs> yeah. this echo chamber, right? But it's still, it's massively impacts people doesn't it just it's mm-hmm. a, the societal need to change our change our body so it's you know of course it's going to affect people as it becomes generational as so many people mm-hmm. are, are doing it yeah yeah oh, very much so did yeah. you um sorry Han. oh um, no <laughs> the joys of Zoom. um so from there so from the diagnosis you know mm-hmm. and doing some therapy where did you go from there on your on your journey so Basically, um, as the stubborn individual that I am, um, I I just didn't want the support that they were giving me. I think, like I mentioned before, the word atypical, just for an eating disorder, you know, anorexia is, in my experience, it was all about perfectionism. It was all about being the best. It was all about rigidity. Like, I needed to have control over everything. And the fact that I wasn't able to succeed in the one thing I tried to do was to lose weight I couldn't do that so I felt like I'd you know I was I was failure basically and they weren't taking me seriously I don't know whether that was actually the case because my like I said about the roast into glasses my memory is quite blurred so basically I left Cam's um and decided with my parents that we were going to go our own way um and and do recovery that way which I don't think works um, because ultimately, you know, I was very naive at the time and I think my parents were as well to think that if I simply ate more, then I would be recovered. Um, and that would be lovely if that was the issue, but it's, yes, it's a physical illness, but it's so deeply rooted into mental health as well. Um, that it just wasn't possible to literally eat a bit more um, and be recovered. So I went probably a few years of, I call it like in my maintenance phase I was still underweight I was still restrictive but I was living so I just felt like I was existing basically um and then at 18 um I just I think everything just felt so out of reach like everything felt so out of control that I just had to keep the eating disorder in my life for that um I got into uni god knows how I did my a-levels I do not know because my brain I think my brain was just so focused on exams and that was all it was thinking about. Um, I got into uni, but I had a boyfriend at the time who was in Wales in uni, at uni. I'd got into Leeds or Reading, not because of the festivals. Um, and I decided to cancel both of those offers and go to Cardiff on a whim. Um, and I distinctly remember sitting with my mum on the bed and she was like, are you doing this because of your boyfriend? I was like, no, 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 I want to go to Cardiff never been into Wales before um and so I went off to Cardiff and unfortunately 
it just I spiraled um I my eating sort of got really really bad I just was totally upset all of the time um and I ended up after six weeks I had to drop out um which was really rubbish but I think you know looking back now it was the right thing to do um so I took a year out said I was going to recover from the eating disorder didn't even try for a second um but in that year I got into the gym and um I was kind of telling myself that in order I was doing strength-based stuff so um I'd always done cardio before but I got into strength and I thought if I want to do this I need to eat a bit more but it was still super restrictive it was still very much like I can only eat if I've done x amount of exercise um but that meant that when I went to uni um the year after I went to Warwick I joined the powerlifting society um and that was really good because I was making friends or socializing, you know, exercise wasn't just exercise. It was being with friends and stuff like that. Um, but then I did my first competition and it's quite common in powerlifting to do weight cutting. So you like you sit a certain weight and then you might cut down a couple of kilos to get into a weight, lower weight category to, to be competitive. And I think, you know, if I was a world standard athlete, fair dues, as a the first time I'd ever competed at a university championship not really that strong either it was just another excuse to manipulate my weight um and so that at that point that was when I was then secondly secondly that word? I was then diagnosed for the second time with aged anorexia because my friends were really concerned about kind of the way that I was manipulating my diet and my weight um and using exercise as an excuse so went back to the adult eating disorder service diagnosed dated planorexia again and I just thought nah not doing this again um so I ended up trying my own way again right it's um it's like I think with eating disorders it's one of the few like mental illnesses that you can find areas of society to completely like blend oh yeah you know so you can like the gym culture you know you can join your powerlifting team and not only can you like completely blend in but it's normalized and mm-hmm. almost rewarded right you hit that weight oh, yeah. cut and everyone's like nice work Han. yeah you smashed yeah. the weight cut and you know it's um and i think that it is it, it always fascinates me about um when i speak to guests who have eating disorders as well because because there are such physical consequences it's almost not thought of as a mental illness, you know, like, and it's, uh, and yeah, and if you can hide it in that environment, then it becomes really, really tricky to get help, I would imagine, because there's part of you that might be thinking, well, this isn't right. And another part of you is thinking, oh, I'm killing this powerlifting, you know, this is, this is meant to be, this is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was like 100% dead on my experience. And I would say from, age 21 to now being age 25 that has been my experience you know the the qualities because and this is what I meant earlier by like I don't think my eating disorder the one that I currently have fits the criteria of any eating disorder because it's it's not that I don't eat I do eat I and you know I eat reasonably well um I've got a very healthy lifestyle cycle to work I go to the gym like I'm very sociable and I can do all of that but I think everything I do kind of it's so glamorized in society you know being able to be as active as I am 
that is amazing being able to get up dead early in the morning to go to the gym and put the gym before everything else in life that is amazing being able to turn down desserts or whatever people people glamorize it and it's actually I think when I was younger I was like a bit naive to it all and people commented on the fact that I'd lost weight and they were like oh well done congratulations and it didn't really affect me but I think now you know what you're saying about like the community when you're like the, the eating sort of recovery community I'm always like we are so on it we're crushing it like we're raising so much awareness and then come out of that and go into you know a conversation with people that have known me for 10 years or people that have known me my whole life and they're saying to me Hannah it's um you look amazing like you're looking so slim or like you know oh it's so good that you're doing so much exercise that must be so good for your mental health and I'm just like how 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 are you still like I am you know maybe sometimes too vocal I don't know but I'm so vocal on social media about how I'm doing because I think if I say it it allows somebody else to think well she said it so it can't be that bad if I say that I've got an eating disorder if I say that you know whatever I'm like you can literally see it on my social media and everyone's like oh well we just thought you were sporty like huh wow yeah, it's like you literally liked my post yesterday yeah. <laughs> where I was talking about recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And put like a little love heart and like always here for you. I mean, not I'm not like trying to get at people, but I just think it's it is crazy how warped we are at, you know, even when someone spells it out to you, it's it's still I kind of wish that I had that. Um, because they don't see, you know, it's all well and good me putting on a smiley picture on Instagram and saying, oh, unfortunately today's not a great day and it's been difficult but they don't see the actual living reality of what it's like to live with an eating disorder and you know that you know if they could be in my brain I think then the situation would be completely different um because it's not that you know you just dish up a meal and you eat it it's hours of rumination around that food of what am I going to eat then you're eating it and all that guilt and then afterwards the guilt and how am I going to exercise to to manage that and stuff so it's yeah I think people see me but obviously they don't know what's going on inside my head yeah sure and that's the bit that's really hard to to talk about to write about to you know like even even to yourself you know even Mm -hmm. like it's like when you're in therapy and you know how do you feel about this you're like well I don't really I'm not really sure like Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say you know it's hard to hard to have those thoughts but it's a really interesting part of the conversation because I'm a firm believer in um, kind of like what you said there, really, how we normalize this conversation is just to have the conversation and to have it in places where maybe we wouldn't normally have that conversation, right? So we don't just save it for the podcast and we don't just save it for the groups and the communities. We have it with people who are outside of these communities. Mm-hmm. And by you choosing to go first, it gives someone else permission to go first. And that's really powerful. But at the same time, it's it's really hard to understand any sort of mental illness when you've never experienced it oh yeah and there's a certain like there's there's a really fine line between kind of like people being being frustrated with people because they don't understand and maybe they say the wrong things but also having compassion for them because absolutely they they don't understand and it's it's a really weird space isn't Mm -hmm. it it's like well I think sometimes I don't know we we expect people to understand this stuff and then also you kind of think like well why should they and it uh, yeah. but but they should <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. it's a really weird space <laughs> like I'm not quite sure how if I articulated that right but it's something no. I spend a lot of time a lot of time thinking about because ultimately it's 
the people who are talking about this stuff openly, the people who listen to your podcast and following you on social media, they kind of know this stuff, right? And they're at their own place with it and they're going to figure that out. It's the people that are in outside of that community. It's, the, it's that group of friends you were talking about. It's the one of them that hasn't told anyone yet that they're struggling. That's the person that needs to yeah. be needs to be reached right and that's where it kind of gets um gets tricky but i suppose that again that's the beauty of podcasts is because mm-hmm. it's it can be such a personal private experience can it that you can just pop into your ears and you can listen and you can like you can find yourself in these conversations like we alluded to at the start but yeah. um it, it gets complicated doesn't it trying to get other people to understand it's a really complicated yeah thing. But I think, you know, what you were saying about like, you know, if there's a friend in the group that hasn't spoken about it, I think that's why I always try and be really vocal and honest about how I'm feeling. Like, I know I got a bit het up earlier, but I would never be like someone, oh my God, how do you not understand? Like, you, you just, that's so annoying. Um, but, you know, if a conversation does come up and, and maybe there's something that I don't necessarily agree with based on my personal experience, I'm always very passionate to to vocalize that because you know I think about times when I've been struggling but can't put it into words and somebody else has said well this is how I feel about it and I thought wow yeah I'm I'm not the only one um so I think because of doing the podcast and becoming so articulate and you know literally 11 years of therapy I kind of I'm I often think I'm too self-aware like I'm so self-aware that it almost has detriments to me um that actually I really try and use that to help other people because I get me well I don't get me at all um but you know I can kind of understand a bit I know when things are coming up so yeah hopefully my awareness of myself can then help other people because I do think that you know sometimes I've been in conversations and people have said stuff and I thought that's actually really like hurt me um but you don't want to say that because you don't want to upset somebody so for somebody else to say I don't I don't know if I agree there I think it's really helpful yeah definitely and that's really you know it's really important with you know most conversations that we you know that we contribute and that we see both sides especially when someone is talking from a place of ignorance as well Mm -hmm. because there's this whole thing like you know I'm entitled to my opinion so well you're not you're entitled to your informed opinion right like you can't just go around having opinions and stuff that's not and that's not how it works (laughs) um and if someone is being like really really ignorant like you say then it is is hurtful and it is um but it's funny you've mentioned like the therapy thing there because I always think that I started therapy because I wanted help with my mental health and I'm still in therapy now I was there today um I've done a lot of it and it has helped me with my mental health, but it's also helped me with like loads of other stuff. Like, you know, for yourself, you can't do 11 years of therapy and not level up, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even like for me, I think, well, even if it's not, you know, if I'm going through something and like therapy hasn't particularly helped with some aspect of how my brain works and I'm not understanding it yet, it's helped with all other stuff. It's helped me like, you know, I'm a much better communicator. I'm like you said, yeah. so self-aware. I can see stuff in other people, you know, like it, it's, um, it's, it's powerful in, in the healing process but yeah it helps you to kind of like just get a better understanding of, of life I suppose yeah I genuinely I mean I don't I don't know why I'm not thinking that this is a thing but I would love to put on my CV 11 years of worth of therapy and what I've gained from that because I actually think that I am a much better person to work with because like you said I'm so self-aware I'm really aware of my weaknesses but I'm also really aware of my strengths so you know I smash interviews so I'm like yeah my strengths are this and my weaknesses are this um it'd be great to put on a CV it would yeah and you know like being ill it does make you really compassionate doesn't it like for other people and that that becomes a really like nice quality and that's something Mm -hmm. else that you can put on your on your cv (laughs) there's there's benefits to 
to be in to be in Bali. Yeah, but I was really interested to chat to you, Hannah, about uh, about recovery. So where we kind of like mm-hmm. moved away from your story, then into you're going into that next stage and the, yeah. the new diagnosis and things like that. Where did you go from there into the uh, into the recovery process? So the next part, basically, it was I think. I basically moved um, so after uni, finished uni, um, came out of uni, went and started a master's um, at UCL. That was the one in Eatonstead, as I mentioned earlier. And um, in the process of that, my partner's originally from Guernsey and he got a job in Cambridge. So um, I was doing my master's. It was going to be in UCL and I live, I'm from Leicester originally. So to com- it was two days a week. So to commute, from Leicester to London was a bit mad but I couldn't afford to live in London so that's what I was going to do so then my partner um was like well I'm going to live in Cambridge we move in together and so we're like yeah whatever like you know it was a bit of a it wasn't like a oh we're going to move in together and it's that big thing it was like this is just logically right so that's what we're going to do and it took the pressure off so it was quite good um but with moving that meant moving to a new city with no friends it was my family very close like I said to my family and they're now an hour and a half away which for me is way too far um it was I got a new job I worked in a cafe um and I was starting my master's so it was loads of things that were happening lots of change and also moving in with my partner like you know whilst as lovely as that is that's a massive change um we'd gone from long distance whilst I was at uni and he was in Guernsey to then constantly together um so that was a big change and I think I can't remember what the word that um the therapist that I saw called it but basically um I could be on my own outside of the house but to be on my own inside of the house I just couldn't I couldn't do it um I'd have panic attacks I started self-harming again um I got to the point where like every time my partner would go to work I'd have a panic attack and cry and it just became really unlivable um so I'd also in that kind of area got really bad body dysmorphia but Ethan sort of wasn't so bad at that point um it was kind of you know I was very much like living and surviving and, and and doing okay but the body dysmorphia was you know I was checking myself in the mirror maybe 200 times a day like not doing anything with the checking but I just had to check to make sure that I looked the same as I did a minute ago or whatever um so I went to a therapist and originally I was going to do CBT um but she offered me EMDR which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um and that literally changed everything. Like when she first explained it to me, I was like, what is this woo-woo science? Like, this is ridiculous. Like somebody is literally gonna wave their fingers at me. I'm gonna look at the, their fingers and follow them. And we're gonna talk about something that's happened in my past as we do it. But I mean, the so basically what happened to give a, a layman overview, which my therapist gave to me, um, I don't really remember, but there was a black current advert for Ribena and it had loads of little black currants like running around in like a, a field. And she basically said that those black currants are all of your like memories and thoughts and opinions stored in your amygdala. And when we do the reprocessing, so basically she like wafted her fingers in different directions. Um, your amygdala all of those little black currents will come out and then the ones that we want to keep they get to go back in but then the ones that we're reprocessing they'll go out and you'll throw them away so 
over the next 48 hours when you're reprocessing it's literally horrific because everything that you speak about you have you basically relive um in your dreams in like the present moment so I had a lot of panic attacks during it um and had really like intense dreams about things that had happened when I was a kid but after those 48 hours it was it was as if it was magic um and it took me it took me quite a while but now I don't I would say I don't have body dysmorphia like it, it was literally amazing and it means now I can we really worked on the being at home alone um I could be at home on my own my boyfriend can go out as much as he wants which is amazing because before that was not something that he could do if he was going out I needed to go with him or we just stayed in which was you know really horrible for him um and so after that like life got really good um you know I was eating out all the time I could eat food that other people made me um I have one really distinct memory of having a lot of gins with my dad and him making me beans on toast and normally I'd be like can I just have this amount of beans and like don't don't put too much butter blah 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 and he just made it for me and I just chomped it down and like it was just amazing like, it was such a small moment but I remember watching like seeing my dad's face afterwards like oh my god he did like he didn't say anything so he didn't want to make it a big thing but um yeah I think it was the sort of like what I expected recovery to be was sort of like beans on toasting but recovery it wasn't being able to go and eat the food that I wanted to it was just being so present in the moment so connected to people you know rather than constant swirling thoughts of how do I look what am I eating what am I going to eat what if they bring out something as a surprise um when will I go home when will I be back to just me it was I'm here and I'm with these people and I'm so connected and that I think is that's what recovery is to me it's yeah the food is a great aspect it's really cool to be able to just sit down and eat but actually you know being able to listen to what someone's saying and being interested in what they're saying that was like recovery for me yeah oh mate that's beautiful that's really really beautiful and that the, the when you were talking about the, that type of therapy then um it what really struck me is how brave you were to go through that therapy and I think that like therapy is supposed to be hard right like I often think and it you know it's a bit of a I was for my own perspective if I don't come out of my therapy needing a lie down I probably have been like telling a few fibs or holding something back right? <laughs> yeah. I probably haven't committed to the process um but to to go through all of that in such a short period of time and it, it, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is how when we're poorly and it could be poorly with anything Sometimes it's like, yeah, life might be awful, but at least it's my awful, right? And yeah. if I start trying to play around with it and figure it out, I'm going to have to do some scary stuff and I don't want to, and I don't know what's on the other side. So although I've, I'm holding myself back and although this is not a nice existence, I've known it for a long time and I'm comfy here and I know every inch of it. And it can be really hard, can't it, to make those, particularly when, therapy is going to challenge you in a way that's going yeah. to make you think about or act in a way that is the thing you've been avoiding for a long long time it's it's hard isn't it yeah it really is and um I think like not to put a negative spin on anything but I think that's kind of like an important part of my story to also mention um you know I something I'm really struggling with right now I think I mentioned before that I'm, I'm sort of 
relapsed slightly um the thing I really struggle with now is I know you know I literally I don't know whether you know I lit up when I was just talking about what it felt like to be recovered I was glowing um and I was really happy and you know recently I have resorted back to previous behaviors and stuff and it just I just I don't know what it is but there's something that's keeping me from not wanting to engage again and I actually went to the doctors today and and my doctor who has been absolutely amazing can I just said she said if I refer you for treatment are you going to want to engage and I couldn't say yes to her and it just made me think like you know I think that's the thing that's really misunderstood or maybe just not even known about eating disorders is they are so like it's so deep that you know even the idea that I know full well if I recover you know if I clip my fingers tomorrow and I fully engage I will be happier by the end of it but it's it's just something and and that's the thing I'm trying to work out at the moment what that something is because there's something holding me here um even though it's really not a nice place to be and I know that there is a nicer place to be and I think part of that is the uncomfortableness that you know I have been to therapy and I've dug stuff out but 11 years that's you know that's nearly half of my life um that's going to be a lot to work through and I think part of me is holding back because I don't want to dig through all of that yeah yeah definitely no I relate to that yeah very very much so it's kind of yeah I will see for myself I kind of like do a bit of work and it's really hard and I get to a point where I can kind of like catch a breath and I say right I'm just going to have a bit of time off this yeah. now because I've just feel like I've done enough. I need to process the yeah. the learnings. I need to, because it's very, it, you know, it's like, it's like trying to read all the self-help books on the shelf, right? If you don't like, you know, make some notes and actually action the stuff that you're yeah. reading about, it's pointless. You can read like 10 million books, but if you're not actually <laughs> going to do any of it, it doesn't matter. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's just hard being in the trenches, isn't it? All yeah. the time, even if you know that where you're going with it eventually is going to be good, then it's just yeah, it's just it's tough, man. It is. It's really tough. When you when you started to sort of, I suppose I'm trying to think of the right. Well, I don't know the right words to use, right? I don't know enough about um, about eating disorders, but as you felt yourself, would you say like? um slip backwards into old habits or take I don't want to say take a backward step because that sounds yeah. like you, do you know what I mean Han I'm trying yeah. like but as things are sort of not going where they should go for you um did you feel that happening did you kind of like we, are you aware oh hang on a minute this is you know this is not moving in the right direction yeah I think I, I mean what you just said about like I just want to pick up on going backwards I think that's really interesting because I I know that I have slipped up um but you know going back to that self-awareness before I don't feel like I have gone backwards because I am completely aware of what I'm doing whereas that's me, why I didn't want to say it yeah, yeah I couldn't think of the right the right yeah, term yeah. but yeah me yeah. me 10 years ago I was not aware of what was going on whatsoever I didn't understand I, I wasn't aware that of the behaviors and the impact they were having but now I know completely and that's what I mean by when I say I'm too self-aware because I know exactly what I'm doing but I'm still doing it um but yeah I think naively um I didn't think that it was going to get bad I thought that I'd be able to kind of have a little tickle um you know 
things were quite difficult last October um, in my personal life. So I just thought I'd have a little, you know, have a little nibble, probably shouldn't say nibble, um, um, on on the eating disorder. And I'd just, you know, put my foot in and and it would comfort me from then on. And I did that, you know, October through to about maybe May time. And then the thing that really, really frustrates me about an eating disorder is if you have a particular behaviour, and I think this is maybe um, in, in general with life, if you have a particular behaviour, it takes, there's negative to your, towards your life, it takes blooming ages to get out of it. Like it's so difficult to build new structures and new routines and, and not engage in those behaviours. But then as soon as you do it once, that's it. And that's that's what that's what happened sort of in May time was I let myself have a little taste of the behavior. And then all of a sudden, you know, that became my new routine. And then that wasn't good enough. So it had to be something more or something less. Um, And yeah, I think, like you said, I was so unbelievably aware of what was going on. But I just I just didn't think that it would actually work. Um, I thought that I could have a little play but still be fine and then actually you know it's not fine um but it's almost it's it now almost feels not it's not too late um but I think the frustrating thing now is I have done all of the things that I tell my listeners I, I would say to anybody to do you know speak to your family speak to a GP do do all of those things and I've done them all and still you know I'm not sick enough, um, yeah. which is, you know, that's that's really hard when I'm trying to catch it early um, and I've done all the right things that they tell you to do, you know, intervention is key, but there is no, there is no intervention. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people offering all this, offering all this advice, but never expecting anyone to do it so there's nothing actually behind it right so it's yeah. like oh yeah if you need help knock on that door but the door's not a door it's just like yeah. painted on a wall right yeah yeah it's um yeah it's oh, it's so tricky and I, I love that you that you look at it in a way that you realize the fact that you were able to kind of spot things and you know and make these early interventions because I think that's really really important um, yeah you know, it, it's something for, like for myself when I was poorly, whenever I had like a bad patch, I always went straight to suicide. That was my go-to. Mm. It was like, right, bad day, cool, I'm out. Yeah. And then for a long time, it was kind of like, you know, I'd have a bad patch and then come out the other side and say, oh, like, you know, I I, I didn't naught to 60, right? I kind mm. of managed to sit in that 40 mile an hour. And, and to me, that was a huge, a huge win. And I, when things are hard, we need to take those, just those little wins those yeah. little re- and we really need to celebrate them hard right mm-hmm. because it's like otherwise it because it's because they're important if you get enough small wins and stack them up there'll be a big win right so it's taking mm-hmm. those small those small realizations yeah so yeah. um mate it sounds like you've got a lot on hand it sounds like it's uh it's tough do you find like because of obviously um you know you're educated around nutrition in this area and you've got your podcast to all these sort of people and it's something that I'm, I'm asking, I kind of, it's a selfish question because it's something that I've found myself doing and I want to know if someone else does it too. But um, because you're good at these conversations that you have all the talk. So what my therapist says to me is she says, you're dancing with me. 
And, you know, because I can in, you know, I can, I can talk about these things and I'm used to talking about these things. I can kind of talking about them in a way where I'm almost separate to it. Yeah. And it, yeah. And recently I've been thinking like, do you know what? I'm fucking sick of this surface level bullshit around mental health. I'm mm-hmm. sick of talking about running and yoga. Like, like, I want to get into the, the, the darkness, you know, I want to yeah. like, let's, let's talk about the, the, the horrible stuff instead of just mm-hmm. talking about all the, all the wellness and the niceties of it. Because I found myself just, just doing all this surface level stuff. And I didn't, it was almost performative, you know, yeah. it's almost performative. And is, is that something that, you know, you can relate to a little bit maybe? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think part of it comes with confidence of doing the podcast, you know, at the start, when I first started for Beans, I wanted, I wanted it to succeed and I wanted to talk about what people wanted to hear. So like you said, it's, it's, you know, people want, oh, you know, what, what meditation is going to make me better or you know they want things that they can listen to and easily put into their life but I am so now for asking the controversial questions um and digging deeper and understanding you know I used to say on my podcast that um I I only wanted to speak to people that were in recovery or recovered because it wasn't that I didn't want to speak to people that, were, that had an Easter but I was scared about you know you know having difficult conversations that people would find difficult to listen to but actually like when you get down to that nitty-gritty of you know how it feels to have an eating disorder or you know I've had a really shit day today and and this is how it feels and the honesty that comes with that they're they're actually the the episodes that people want to hear and I've realized it you know on Instagram as well when I put something on maybe like a reel or something that is genuinely something that I'm feeling that people can relate to you know it's obviously not for all for the likes but the response that it gets compared to me being like oh I just went for a walk and my mental health feels great like you know we we all know that getting outside could potentially help us but when someone says Jesus Christ I've just had such a crap day um and I feel rubbish and you know I've done this silly thing that I know is stupid blah 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 yeah that's what people want to hear um, because they they want to know that they're not alone in their struggles but also I think with that I then try and be you know yeah talk about that nitty-gritty but also then talk about what you do to help yourself with that um, so that it's not just everything's bad um, yeah yeah 100% yeah you don't want to you know people there's a million and one Instagram accounts people can go to if they want to see someone pretend life is perfect right yeah and there's probably another a million and one where if you want to do some doom scrolling you can go and yeah, sit yeah. In, the, in the sadness and yeah it is a very very um fine line and i you know i do like what you were talking about earlier about you know your own experience recently so many people will relate to that right so many people will hear will hear themselves in some form in that in that story and you know like you say it is the nitty-gritty is is important yeah so where does it you know that's where you are now so where do we go from here Han like what do you, do you have a plan are you riding this out what's going on mate where, where um, I think currently I I was thinking about this earlier actually so I've obviously I've done recovery before um I wouldn't say that I was fully recovered, but I don't know what full recovery is. I was in a really good place. That's all I know. And something sparked inside of me that then I, that getting better was better than being poorly. Um, 
And so right now I'm, I'm trying to explore different things of, of what that is. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really upsetting process because I think about a lot of things um, that I'm missing out on or relationships and stuff and nothing is, nothing's coming close to the feeling that being in the eating disorder is giving me. Um, but I mean, currently I'm on antidepressants, which is a blessing and a curse because the depression acts as a comfort blanket <clears throat> for the eating disorder. So when I'm depressed, I don't really care about the eating disorder. So the antidepressants have been great in terms of lifting my mood, but it has made the eating disorder worse. Um, I've been to the GP. Um, I've got an urgent referral to the eating disorder service. So hopefully something will happen there. Um, but I think, you know, they're like the logical things that I've done that I would highly recommend anybody does, you know, if, if you're listening and you think I'm really struggling, I think the first thing to do is to speak to somebody that you trust. And, you know, that doesn't have to be your parents or your partner. You know, it, it could be somebody at work who might have like a staff counsellor or something. If, if there's somebody that you trust, I think just having that initial conversation to say this is how I'm feeling right now um and then maybe working on the bigger picture stuff but for me I think just got to find that thing that's going to make me want to that's going to get me motivated to recover because you know I spoke to my friend the other day about this and she said do you think that you need to build a better routine into your life and I said <laughs> unfortunately I'm I'm so routined and that routine is what's keeping me going at the moment um, but it's completely driven by the eating disorder. And she said, oh, but what about when you break out of that routine? I was like, oh, mate, we don't break out of that. Like, that's what life revolves around at the moment. Um, and so I think that's what makes it really hard to snap out of it because every day is the same and it makes it really uncomfortable to then make each day different. But yeah, I think I've rambled on, but finding that key, I think. And, and you need support to do that. I don't think that you can necessarily do that alone, which after 11 years, I've maybe finally realised that I might need someone to help me rather than just thinking, I can put my big girl shoes on and I can do it all myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, that's, um, that's a lot, right? And uh, like, I always think that being anywhere where we're in that place where we can't go back and we can't go forward. It's that middle ground. That's always, and it doesn't matter. That can be anything, right? It can be whether we're like stuck, stuck in our head, stuck with our mental health, or it can be like a relationship or a job or anything at all, isn't it? It's where you can't, you can't go. In one of my therapy sessions the other week, my therapist was, we were trying to like, find a metaphor for that feeling and she told me she went on holiday a few years ago and everyone was doing like really cool like cliff dives you know all these like instagrammable jumps off this cliff and she said she climbed up and it was a disaster and she couldn't like it like it nearly killed her getting to the top and then she got to the top and it was like so high she didn't want to jump off and she was just stuck so she like she couldn't jump off and she couldn't go back down i think she jumped in the end but i i, I like that metaphor of just being in that place where you're like you can't go yeah. back because it's it's hazardous and like jumping forward into the known off those cliff is, is scary too and you just kind of but at the same time but you know you can't stay on the on the edge of the cliff forever and it's um yeah yeah man yeah it's tough does your um when you're dealing with um stuff yourself does your podcast does it help as a either as a distraction or as something to mm -hmm. focus on or is that you know how has how has having full of beans like impacted your own your own well-being your own mental state yeah 
It's really interesting, actually, because I worked in an eating disorder clinic for a bit and that was not great. Um, that really, I think, was sort of a an eruption um, or like the catalyst for why things got quite bad. Um, and, you know, nobody's fault whatsoever. It was just I maybe wasn't ready for that. But what I found with Full of Beans is I, I don't know, I, I think because it's me and I am in control of it not in like a you know controlling way but like it's it's what I want to do um I I really enjoy it and I get to choose you know who I speak to and if I feel like somebody's not going to be the right fit then I get to make that decision um but I love as I said at the start like I love talking to people and I found that I'm not one of those people that wants to know about one topic and get completely engulfed in it I like knowing like a little bit about a lot um and so yeah full of beans has been amazing for me and honestly like some days I'll be so low and I think there is no way I can record a podcast right now like what am I going to bring to it but I don't cancel because I I think I know deep down it's going to be really helpful and I come on and maybe at the start I am slightly you know like oh bit fake like you know just put on a smiley face but as soon as I get talking to the person and see how kind of excited they are to be on the podcast and and to be discussing things it just kind of yeah I don't know it it maybe is slightly a distraction but there's just something about it that has been so rewarding and really helpful um in terms of just meeting new people and really getting more to grips with with it I don't find it because my parents said that to me when I left my job in East of the clinic they said you know are you gonna have to stop full of beans and but I genuinely think it's really helping me um which has been brilliant yeah definitely I suppose anything where um where you have to because you don't cancel the episode right so you've got to do it so it forces you outside of yourself for that yeah. hour two hours whatever it is and that's really really important a lot of people I've spoke to are like oh you know I wouldn't be here anymore if it wasn't for my dog because I mm. had to walk the dog every day yeah. I had to be there for someone else you know and to but to have that thing in your life and distraction is a people don't like the word distraction but I think distraction's great if you it, if you know it's a distraction and it's a positive one then you know mm. sign me up because like it's a really like it's an important thing sometimes to just like get out of your own way and just have an hour where you can just sort of focus on someone else and hear someone else's story and um connect with another human being in in that way it's a really important thing yeah are there any particular episodes that have like really stood out like if anyone's listening and they're thinking oh i'm gonna jump on hannah's podcast is there anything that you've kind of um you think like that that's the one that's one i'm really like pleased with or proud of or learned Mm from i think my oh like i feel bad saying my favorite um but the one that I cried on the episode. I I don't cry often on on the episode, on the on the recordings. Was I did one with um, Carolina Mountford, and she's a motivational speaker, and she had eating disorder herself, and she was really really unwell with it, um, and she was quite lonely at the time when she had it as well, and she she spoke about the fact that you know recovery is like climbing a mountain, and when you're climbing a mountain, you know you can you can get halfway up and you can take a look at the scenery and what's going on but the pinnacle you know you need to get to the top in order to see that that gorgeous view um and you can have people alongside you and and that's fine but you know the top is the aim and and she is you know 
what she describes as completely recovered and I've always been really cynical in that that's not possible but she she I literally called the episode I am enough um and yeah that was just such a wonderful episode I just was so inspired by what she was saying um that it was yeah it was just brilliant and I think that was sort of like for me the most inspiring um but I I also think that I did a podcast um with my now best friend um, George from Maya Minds on muscle dysmorphia and exercise addiction and I think they're two massively misunderstood things and you know that was like one of I think it was episode eight or something it was one of my first episodes but it really stuck with me as something I just learned so much from it um about a condition that you know I don't think I have muscle dysmorphia but I definitely have something related to muscularity and leanness um and you know I definitely struggle with exercise addiction as well so it was I found that one really useful for somebody to talk about like they were talking about it without knowing that I had it but it just made so much sense to me yeah that, that's where that human connection comes from you know so like I've kind of got this like saying I've been playing around with for a long time and I can't quite find the way to make it work but it's something along the lines of that we all break in different ways but it's all this is the same stuff that comes out when we do and it doesn't matter like what you're kind of experiencing with regards to illness or diagnosis or anything like that, that that's always like the thing behind the thing. Right. So, you know, if we get underneath this stuff, if we drill yeah. down into it, they're the same emotions, thoughts, mm -hmm. and feelings that are running wild. They're running wild for different reasons. They're running wild in different ways. They're, you know, they're misbehaving. We're misbehaving. All of the chaos is completely individual, but those things underneath mm -hmm. all of it, where it stems from is, is just human, isn't it? And that's yeah. where we're all the same above that. We're all completely different, but on that level, we are all, all the same. And it's, it's those sorts of conversations where you can kind of like, you know, connect on that deeper level. Um, yeah, they help, huh? They really, really yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. Well, I'm definitely going to go and uh, and listen to those. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. I'll put links and things in the episode notes. But um, amazing. Yeah. Anything coming up with it, mate? What's your What's your plans? Are you just kind of like keep going with the with the episodes? Anything? Because you've like uh, you've built a lovely community around Thank it, you. and you've got like people writing the community blogs, and you do workshops yeah. and stuff as well, Han. Yeah. So is that combining like your your you know your qualification your day job for want of a better term with the podcast and bringing it all sort of under one umbrella yeah I think so I mean my dream would be for full of beans to be my full-time job and to to be able to do it um I like you say I've been doing the workshops so that's I've mainly been doing them with healthcare professionals because I think everybody um working in healthcare should have even sort of training no matter where you're working because ultimately anyone can spot it um, you know whether you're a gastroenterologist or you know a dentist I always think dentists like with bulimia and stuff they they're ideal people to be spotting that sort of thing um, you know with the tooth decay and things like that but you know even I've done um, workshops with um, health providers for people that are neurodiverse and kind of spotting eating disorders and in in individuals that like that so that that's what the workshops kind of are currently um and then I'm hoping to move those into you know going into 
companies going into schools wherever to have conversations about you know making a workplace more acceptable for people that have eating disorders reducing that diet chat you know I did a podcast recorded it yesterday and we were talking about eating disorders in the workplace and workplaces are so weird at how they like glorify diet culture but then if you don't eat the cake you're weird um and then um, yeah <laughs> I used to, I used to work for the NHS and I um, uh-huh. a long time ago and it was a, like one of those big open planned offices with about like forty people in it. Every single person in there was on some f- sort of diet. It was predominantly like females, predominantly middle aged females, right? Everyone was on there. And then Fridays was like a, it was just it, it was carnage and it it used to make me laugh because like I'm very like if I don't want to particularly to eat pizza on one day I won't and it's just yeah. I don't feel like it but like you say you're weird right if you say oh I'm not coming to have a bit of that cake it's yeah. like people can't handle it like it's actually a big deal you know people mm-hmm. come up to you afterwards and say like you didn't come and have the cake you know, <laughs> you know yeah. it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a massive thing it's really weird behavior and people speak to you in a way that they wouldn't speak to you like in the street or in your house yeah. or anything like that it's, it's like that's such a good point because it's um there'll be people listening like nodding their heads at this yeah point because it's peculiar isn't it out of context it is yeah and and i think that's why it's so important to kind of have those conversations um about how how you can be a more inclusive environment and you know it is really weird how you know, you would never say that to somebody, you know, a family event or I don't mean maybe, maybe forward, but it's yeah, it's just weird how it's different in the workplace. Um, but then also schools, I think they're a really important place to be exploring body image and eating difficulties. Cause I also did a podcast on that a, um a few weeks ago. Neither of these are out yet, but uh, about eating disorders in schools and the education that they get and it's just not really there. Um, but with social media and stuff, we, we need to be teaching kids how to explore that sort of thing. And and, and adults, I think, as well. Um, so that's with the workshops. And then the blog, basically, I just was worried that people would be tired of my voice, um, which I don't think they are. I think it was me just being silly. Um, but yeah, the blog has had a massive, you know, I've got so many people that want to write blogs, which is fantastic. I think so nice that other people want to get involved. Um but yeah over time I think I think if we can build the workshops build the resources um build everything really it would be great I think I'm I'm feeling like so many people are not to be big-headed but so many people are gaining something from it um it would be really nice to be able to make it bigger and better um for people and just yeah make sure that like you said I think that's the one thing I really need to crack into is reaching people that aren't necessarily in the community already and um, and I think that's a really difficult thing to do I think with mental health in general because a lot of the time people don't want to hear about it they don't want to have that conversation and um, so it's how you approach the conversations in a way that means it's kind of a chill conversation it's not intense um, but it's increasing that awareness which is always been the number one thing for me with Colour Beans is increasing that awareness and reducing the stigma. Yeah. And that, I mean the beauty of having the workshops as well is that you can talk about stigma, you can talk about awareness and then then what next? Oh that's what next. Because something yeah. like like sometimes I feel a little bit around the mental health conversation. It's great that more people are talking about it. It's great that it is kind of like picking up steam and stuff like that. But with awareness we're always going like, be more aware, be more aware. And everyone, right, I'm aware, what now? And it's like, yeah. 
oh well i'm not telling you about that i'm just telling you be aware yeah. right and it's the same i think with the i think particularly around the men's mental health conversation you know like all i ever see is people telling men to talk don't tell them how don't tell them when yeah. don't tell them who to don't tell to what happens next once you talk you know it's all like men don't talk men don't talk and it's almost like um like a self-fulfilling prophecy all you're doing is telling men that they don't talk like i'm not yeah. quite sure how healthy that is you know and there's yeah. no negatives that sound whenever i say things like this i always think oh i sound so cynical <laughs> you know <laughs> and there's never any negative to having yeah. these conversations at all they all need to be had don't they and different yeah. people need to hear different things but um i do love this idea of like after awareness what's next you know yeah you know like, let's smash the stigma and then what next you know yeah. I, like i love the idea that um that yeah you, that you're out there doing these things i think it's a really really beautiful thing yeah and i think you know what i i want i meant to say this earlier when you were talking about like the past and the future and you can't kind of change them and you can't be in the future even though like you know I've had 11 years of an eating disorder it has made me who I am right now um and who knows what I'd be without it maybe I would be brilliant I don't know but it's what I've got is the cards that I've been dealt and I've learned so much and actually that's what I'm now thinking about the situation I'm in currently is that you know I was really going about thinking that services were really working and you know, again not not being cynical being realistic um but this this relapse has made me realize it's not where it should be and people are being let down um people that are really ill are being let down and i think it's given me a new glimpse into recovery and into what's available because i was very happily sat there telling people go speak to your gp and you know that is currently what we're told to do but i didn't have the empathy that you know you go to your gp and then you have a really long time waiting and what do you do in between that but now i'm starting to think what resources can we give to people in that time period when they are waiting um and sometimes i think you do have to have that experience to realize that you know what does need to be done. it's all great saying oh you know be more aware of anything sort of like you said but um okay, I'm more aware, but, you know, if I recognise in someone, how do I have that conversation with them? How do I, you know, I don't want to say, do you have an eating disorder? Because I've noticed that you, you know, doing certain behaviours, um, it's it's really difficult. So actually being able to provide people sound advice um, that's, you know, based on what's currently happening right now, I think is really, really important. Yeah, sure. I suppose it's like, um, you know, it's looking for those cracks in the system and mm -hmm. working out what safety net right we can put in place and the best way like unfortunately the best way to identify those cracks is to fall through one <laughs> you yeah. know? like yeah. and then we go all right like <laughs> this has happened what i need isn't here so you know when the time is right maybe i can work towards creating that need because if one person needs it there'll be lots of people that need it unfortunately mm -hmm. that's um that's the thing isn't it yeah mate it's been a pleasure i do like when i was making um notes about all the different things we could talk about I, we could have gone anywhere with this there was yeah, so much you know and um, <laughs> i'd love further down the line i'd love to do a follow-up because i think um that like the other aspect of the nutrition aspect of your work um within eating disorders i think that's a hot that's another conversation yeah. for me in itself um and i think yeah I'd, I'd love to i'd love to revisit this but mate i can't i can't thank you enough for coming on and i can't thank you enough for just your your openness and, and your and your honesty and um yeah it's been a real pleasure mate and I, I really appreciate you um trusting me to hold that space for you it's um it's yeah it's been a privilege thank you yeah. no I I want to say thank you to you because I think you create such a 
like a warm comfortable environment and I felt really comfortable and actually you no know, selfishly I think this has been a really like great thing for me to do to sort of reflect on where I'm at currently um so yeah thank you for giving me that space to sort of offload it all so hopefully it wasn't too much no not at all mate it was like I say it was a real a real pleasure yeah thank you very much big up to the proper mental podcast the proper mental podcast